0: Some crazy pastor said, uh, let's do a class on the introduction to the New Testament. You know, get the background of the New Testament. You know, that's a little topic, right? You know, so, uh, um, and I'm the crazy pastor. And, um, and I've solicited questions from, from various people. And, um, and I've gotten some really good questions. And so if you have a question, what would help you to, to know the New Testament better? Email them to me, or or buttonhole me some sometime, a little bit hard on Sundays. I know. Give me a call, text me. You know, um, uh, you could even write it down on a piece of paper and put a little thing that's fifty five cents and and uh, what's that? Called? The mail it uh, to me. So so that's that's fine because questions <laughs> questions are good and questions are are, are helpful. Um, so um, so anyway, so when I, when I suggest this topic, I, I asked some some people, give me a question, and um, I'm going to give Keith Lurer some credit here. It's, uh, I don't see Keith yet, yet today. So, so anyway, but um, but uh, Keith sent me a really good question, was, uh, um, and, he, and he said, well, Pastor, um, is it, even though the, co- the course background is in the New Testament, I don't understand the divided kingdom. I said, and then I thought about it, well, and he wanted to know more about the divided kingdom, where Israel and Judah is divided. And I said, you know, that actually is a pretty good question, because if you don't understand the divided kingdom, you aren't going to understand the latter half of the Old Testament, and then you're really not quite as on firm ground when going to the New Testament, right? You know, and there's a lot of issues with that. I'm going to talk about it later on in today's study. Um, but then it, then it occurred to me, I was doing, and I'm doing all this research on... Uh, on the, the the intertestamental period, you know, we got these 450 years from Malachi to Matthew. You know what, what's going on those that time period. You know what's going on with the Samaritans, what's going on with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Uh, um, you know how the Romans get involved in doing a lot of these things. Uh, what is meant by by, for example, in, in the book of Acts, you had Hellenistic Jews versus Hebrew Jews. What what wow, what's up with this? So I'm doing a lot of research in this. Then I then I, I went back and I remembered. Um, talking to my, uh, my New Testament professor at, at Concordia St. Louis. My fourth year of SEM, um, I was uh, considering just continuing on the STM program doing my graduate work immediately after seminary. Okay, so, so I, I, Dr. Grothy, I just respected him. He's a tremendous scholar. Um, said, well, what should I do? He said his thing, if you want to know the New Testament, you must know the Old Testament. I said, whoa, that's, that's profound. It, the New Testament builds on the Old Testament, and we'll talk about that today. And so my first class for introduction to the New Testament is we're going to review some of the major themes from the Old Testament. And it actually makes a lot of sense. And, 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 uh, and it actually makes more sense the more I thought about it. Um, in the, throughout the history of the church, they didn't know as much about archaeology as we know and stuff like this. They didn't know, you know, the, the ruins of Nineveh and modern-day Iraq, et cetera, like this. But they taught the Scriptures, and they learned the Word of God. This is so important. Okay, so let's, I'm going to start with the basic thing. The with background to the New Testament. As soon as you say New Testament, you're implying what? Old Testament. And, and this is very important to use that terminology. There, there is tendencies out in the more, more liberal areas to say, you know, the, 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 the Church's scriptures versus the, the Hebrew Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Okay, you no, know, we say Old Testament, and New Testament, and and it's very clear because, because the heart and soul of all the scriptures is the promise of God in Christ Jesus, and so, and so it's important. So, so we don't. Separate the Testaments. There's, there's differences between the Old Testament and New Testament, obviously. And there's a lot of differences. However, they are unified by our Lord being gracious and merciful, and it's found in our Savior, Jesus Christ. The word Testament, by the way, comes from a Latin root word um, for a translation of the Greek word for for, for testament or covenant. And so, and so you could possibly say New Covenant and Old Covenant, but it's really the same covenant. Um, and the Old and the New Testament are, unit, are unified. They speak about the same God. Now, now, the Old Testament is extremely important in this sense, that, that it points to a world that is created by God. The, the world you inhabit is not accidental. It's not accidental. And we just had the Bible class called Science and Faith. I think it's very important to point to God as creator. If you don't do that, then this world is, is, is chaotic, and ultimately, a place of despair because there's no hope, right? Um, and um, and so, so the Old Testament also points to the world being a fallen world, a fallen world, and so that's the world you live in. But in the fall, God gives the promise of salvation, and it's uh, um, and that's that's important. I, I don't. Um, if you go to, to Genesis four in your ESV Bibles, and they and they're, they're on the back there, but um, There's a, there's a, I I think that I I would translate Genesis 4 differently because it points out to the messianic hope that's right there, right after the promise. In Genesis 3, even though Adam and Eve have not even repented of their sin yet, God gives the promise of one seed from Eve who will bruise the head of the serpent. Now, in genesis 4 1 the esv translates this this way i have when when adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore cain saying i have gotten a man with the help of the lord the 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 expression with the help of the lord is not found in the hebrew i have i have gotten a man the lord and so the 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 hope of god sending the the savior was right there, right in Genesis, and really the whole the Old Testament plays that out. Another aspect that's very important why we have the Old Testament is it points to a definite beginning, and then we know also from not the Old Testament, but also New Testament, that there's an end to history. We are in Advent right now, and Advent means coming, so we know that our Lord will bring this age to an end, and that's very, very important. Very important, because we know how the story ends And it's good, right? It's good. Um, Any of you um, not a fan, really, of a roller coaster, but because you want to be a good sport, went on a roller coaster ride anyway? Did that ever happen to anyone in this this room? Um, But um, the only reason I bring that up is because if you're not a fan of roller coasters, when that thing, when you get towards the top of that hill, goes clink, 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 and you just look down, it, it can be a kind of a terrifying experience. You know, I I love roller coasters. You know, I mean, I I I, I have never my 300 uh, foot roller coaster Cedar Point, Illinois, Ohio. I, my hands have never touched that baby. I, I'm hands up the whole, whole time. The 400 foot one, first time I went, I did touch. I did grab a hold. You know, so so at 400 feet, that was a little bit too much for me. But 300 uh, foot, never touched it. So I, I like roller coasters because I know it's going to be safe at the other end, right? Okay, well, everything's safe. Nothing that's safe, but the but the Savior who saves is also with us right now. That's the great picture of Scripture. Okay, so so major themes that we see in the Old Testament. There's the 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 the, the theme of covenant, promise. Now, covenant is not like a contract where, in the sense of equal parties. We, we know that that from from ancient Near Eastern texts that there is a, a way of making a covenant where the Lord makes a covenant with the, with the, with the lower vassal. And so the Lord's covenant is, is, is making it with his people. So, so God's covenant is, is a promise to you and me. Okay, and it's fulfilled. And so, and so, and of course in the Old Testament, you have to know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When, when Jesus, um confesses um, god remember the 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 at the during holy week the sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection try to trip jesus does anyone remember this and say what happens if a man marries a woman they don't have any children and then his brother marries all seven brothers marry. they have no children whose wife will should be in the resurrection of course it's a trick question because they don't believe in the resurrection okay what does Jesus say? He points to the fact that, that God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. On Genesis Exodus 3, where, where God says, I am who I am. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So these are the patriarchs. You have to know the patriarchs. So important. So out of this mess of sinful mankind, and now everything's scattered from Babel, God promises to Abraham that I will from you Bless all the nations for all time. And that's the promise of the Savior. So God gives Abraham this, this threefold promise. And you always remember think in terms of tennis, right? Lob, and that's how I did it, you know, for our Confirmation kids. Land, offspring, blessing. I'm gonna give you land. I'll give you offspring, even though he's 75 years old and uh, his wife's 65. And then I'll bless all the nations through you. That's the promise of the Savior. And God keeps the promise to Isaac and keeps the promise to Jacob. Then we go on in the Old Testament is that the great rescue event in the Old Testament is, is Exodus. And so, a great question, it's like a chicken and egg question. Is, is Genesis the book that leads, and, and that's so important, that leads into Exodus, or is Genesis the, the book from which Exodus springs? I don't know if you see the nuance right there. In other words, you place a priority on Genesis, or you place a priority on Exodus when you think about the Old Testament. The Exodus is the great rescue, but the foundation is set in Genesis with the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But anyway, they're both very important, obviously. So the Exodus is so important that God leads His people from slavery into freedom by His power and His power only. Okay? And then, of course, you got all the details of that story. And then, then Joshua brings him into promised land. And by the way, uh, in, in Hebrew, Aramaic, the names Joshua and Jesus are the same, right? Yeah, Yeshua, right? The one who, the one who saves. Um, Joshua brings him into the promised land in the Old Testament. And of course, Jesus brings us into the promised land, that, in, indeed, the promise to New Jerusalem that he's prepared for us in the New Testament. Okay, and so it's very important to understand Understand that. I'm gonna stop for questions right now. Uh, Any questions about what we've covered so far? Questions you have about some basic Old Testament themes. Okay, I know it's a lot of it's old hat, but but to think clearly about the Old Testament, to think clearly in terms of of Christ being the fulfillment of the Old Testament is extremely, extremely important. Okay, and there's Keith right there, So, so. I've already given you credit, Keith, for your question that you, you asked me about the divided kingdom, so it's so a good question. Okay, so from there, tabernacle and temple. This is so, so important to understand the sacrificial system that, that, that first of all, Israel knows where the glory of the Lord is present, and this is, this is important. And so, so we see when the tabernacle is dedicated and when the temple are dedicated, that the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle, that later on fills, fills the temple. And of course, when the saddest verses in all the Old Testament, if you understand the nuance of this, is in Ezekiel, because of Judah's sinfulness, the glory leaves the temple. Now it's an ordinary building. So when the Babylonians destroyed Solomon's temple, all they're doing is taking rocks down because Judah had been unfaithful to the Lord. God's glory is gone. It's not my house anymore. And this is, this is tragic. But, but, but to understand that to be the people of God, they had the tabernacle and then later on, on the temple, the sacrificial system. This is so important that blood has to be shed for the forgiveness of sins, but it has to be repeated because that sacrifice can never be complete. This is why the book of Hebrews is quite helpful because in the book of Hebrews, we are told that Jesus makes the once and for all sacrifice for sins. There's no longer a need for further sacrifice. Um, I've I've often thought that if, if somebody asked me to publish a Bible, they won't. On the bottom of every page in the Old Testament, you should put, and animals were being sacrificed, blood was being shed for sin. Every page, there's the tremendous amount of blood that was being shed because of sin. And then that points to the tremendous amount of blood that was shed on the cross for your sin and mine in Jesus Christ. The sacrificial system is so important. Then understand the Day of Atonement. The high priest could only go in the Holy of Holies one day a year and sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant with the blood of the bull and the blood of the goat. And they would tie a string around his ankle in case he did it wrong and God struck him dead. Because no one else was even allowed to enter. And and then, then, of course, we have Christ's crucifixion where the temple veil is rent in two. Um, you also have the priesthood, the priesthood from the tribe of Levi, this priesthood who are to represent the, the people to God and God to the people. And the priest offering the sacrifice and the elaborate details that go into the priest vestments and, and the consecration of the priest, etc. like this. Okay, let's continue on the, uh, kind of highlighting the Old Testament. Um, When they come into the promised land, and and it's important that you have these 12 tribes, but they're all 12 tribes of Jacob. One thing I didn't put in here is that always remember, Jacob has another name. Jacob, when he wrestles with the Lord, is given a new name. His new name is Israel. So whenever you hear the name Israel, this is supposed to be family. And it corresponds over in the New Testament where we're all called brothers in Christ. So we are indeed family in Christ. And so the New Testament, you ever ask, why, why do you have 12 apostles? Because you have 12 tribes. You have 12 sons of, of Jacob, 12 sons of Israel. And, that's, and so, we, so God is making a new people in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Um, so there is no king at first. But then the people want a king. And of course, Samuel warns them about this. But then God allows them to have a king. And the king is to be God's representative to represent his reign. And so so first you have Saul, but then you have Saul failing, and then you have David being anointed to be king. David desires to build a temple, but God says no, because your hands are filled with blood because David had been such a warrior. However, I will establish your kingdom forever. And so the promise in 2 Samuel 7 is this eternal Davidic kingdom. And, of course, the people will get it wrong because they'll interpret that in terms of earthly sense, but that's a, that's a whole other question. We'll discuss that when we get to messianic expectations in the New Testament era at, at a later lesson. I have at the bottom right here a, a map. i got more than one map for you. Okay. And, um, and this is a map of, of, of the kingdom under... Um, under Solomon and David, okay, and so at that time Israel is a great nation. Israel, if you if you read the accounts of Solomon's wealth and 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 everything like this, that Solomon brings great wealth and so great power. However, under Solomon, and Solomon does build the temple. It's very important that the early in his reign he builds the temple. However, as as we'll talk about next. Um, Solomon, towards the end of his reign, uh, uh, commits apostasy. Solomon has all these wives, he builds temples to their gods. and Solomon himself sacrifices to these gods. And so so the question is, does Solomon ever repent of his sin? Okay, so you see, already by the end of Solomon's reign, this fracture, where Solomon, and if you hear some of the descriptions, Solomon is beginning to act like earthly kings. And indeed, David did also. if It's kind of interesting. David and Bathsheba. What was David's first sin? What? Well, before killing Bathsheba, it would be adultery. But before that, the first verse of the chapter says, "When all the kings used to go out to war with their soldiers, David was in his palace." So if David goes with his troops. He's not. On the top of his palace, he's not seeing a woman bathing. He's not going to have lust for her. He's not going to commit adultery. His first sin was not being a proper king, and then he commits adultery. Then he commits murder. Then he covers it up, and 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 so and so this is a horrendous sin. But from that, obviously, it's also forgiveness of sins. So now, now after Solomon dies, so you have what I call the Great Divide. This leads into Keith's question: the divided kingdom. Um, and I show a map of the divisions of the two kingdoms. Um, now, now the kingdom and this gets to be a little bit confusing, because under Saul, David and Solomon, the whole nation is called Israel, right? Now afterwards, the northern half keeps the name Israel, and the southern half is known by the, by the largest tribe, which is Judah, okay? And Judah is by far the largest tribe by this, this, this time. OK? And so And so I, I talked about Solomon's apostasy. Now, Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son, could have kept the kingdom. However, he was arrogant, and, and, and they come to him, and, and Solomon, besides building a temple, built a lot of other things. And Solomon, to build a lot of things, he had to tax the people pretty heavily, and he also um, essentially drafted work groups. And so, lots of, rather than farming your land, you had to work for Solomon and build some of his buildings. And so the tribes of Israel say, if you lighten the load, we'll be loyal to you, Solomon. I mean, Rehoboam. But Rehoboam's answer says, you think my father was harsh? You haven't seen anything yet. And the ten tribes say, we're out of here. It's kind of important to understand that they still have this tribal identity um, as opposed to just a, a generic national identity. And you see this, for example, um, uh, throughout much of history. The, the idea of, of, a, of a true nation state is relatively uh, new in history. In fact, um, there's a lot of question how, how many true nations are there out there. I mean, for example, in our own country, um, it's not surprising that at the time of the Civil War, and this isn't a question about slavery, but that, that certain people, their loyalty was first to their state not to the United States of America. And that's kind of hard for us to understand, but then again, in limited geography, that's all you know, right? My grandfather's here, stuff like this, and so, so Robert E. Lee uh, goes with the state of Virginia rather than the United States of America. And so, and so you see this, and, but you see nationalistic things all, all over the thing right now. For example, um, in Canada, there was actually a move for Quebec to become independent of Canada, right? under the Quebecois, and, and you still have in Spain right now, the Basque region wanted to be independent of Spain. So, and so, and there, there's other things, you know, um, being in, in, in Germany, there's there's still a, a very distinct Bavarian spirit as opposed to the whole the whole of Germany, that's not quite the same as the Quebecois, but but many people still identify the regions in, in various countries around the world. Um, so, Rehoboam's arrogant, so now split. God promises Jeroboam, who will be the head of the northern kingdom, if you follow me, everything's good. However, Jeroboam um, has what's called the sin of Jeroboam. This is a term in the Old Testament, sin of Jeroboam. He builds false places of worship at Dan and at Bethel. You don't see it on your map right here. Be the very north will be Dan, very south to be Bethel. And, and at these places of worship, It is so called to worship Yahweh. However, at both these places of worship, get this, he places golden calves. Is God happy with this? No. So that that 10 tribes now have as a place of worship having golden calves. No, so it's called the sin of Jeroboam. So God judges all the kings of Israel as unfaithful. There's one king who was a little bit mixed because he killed a lot of prophets of Baal, um, but but none of them are considered faithful to the Lord. And so, so that's in the divided kingdom. Um, now, the divided kingdom is also there. So now we're towards the end of the Old Testament. Um, the kings now view themselves politically. You see them making alliances and stuff like this. And, um, and now you're going to see the history of the Old Testament now seen in the larger context of the ancient world. Under the rule of David and Solomon, if you read scriptures carefully, the world is coming to them. Now they're part of a larger world, and, and to an extent, because they're, they're acting politically, they've become almost pawns in terms of Egypt and Assyria, and then later on, Judah. Okay, so, so we talked about the sin of Jeroboam, and I want to talk a little bit, to understand the Old Testament, to understand Baalism. Baalism. Um, Baalism is evil. Um, it's polytheistic. All these other religions are polytheistic. Polytheism, is not moral. The idea of, of religion and morality being connected is not a polytheistic idea. OK, so Baal, in fact, is very immoral. How do you get good crops? And why is Baalism such a, a temptation? Well, you go to the temple, and you have sex with the, the temple prostitute, and Baal and Asherah are going to get the idea in the heavens, and they give you lots of rain. You know, So the ground's going to be fertile because of Baal and Asherah. Um, getting the idea from you being with the temple prostitute and so Baalism is immoral there's child sacrifice involved it's just just very immoral so god hates Baalism and what happens is that is that Yahweh gets placed there's always room for one more god in polytheism right you even see this in the new testament in acts the book of acts acts 17 the, the 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 place for the unknown god and Paul uses that as a springboard to, to say, "I'm going to tell you about the true God. In fact, your gods are false." But that's a whole other thing in Acts 17. Um, so, Baalism. There's always room for worship of Yahweh, but just not making him king and not making him exclusive. So that's Baalism. And so, uh, and that's kind of the picture of, of polytheism, the ancient world. Um, and I can say a lot more about that, but this is uh, I, I just want to get through some of the other other material. Okay. Um, so at this time, God raises up uh, prophets. Now this is not to say that there haven't been prophets before. This is very important. Moses is called a prophet of God. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, God is going to raise up another true prophet to fulfill the office of Moses, and that is Jesus Christ. So when we turn about Jesus Christ. He is prophet, priest, and king. And so he's going to be a prophet like unto Moses from Deuteronomy 18. So, it, it, so Moses is a prophet. So there's, prophets are not just Isaiah, Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They also go back to those who proclaim God's word. You have Nathan, you have, other, you have the other prophets in the Old Testament. And so God's prophets are to proclaim his word. Okay, And to an extent, my office is still a prophetic office, to proclaim God's word. This is what we stand on. We stand on God's Word. So, is to warn Israel and Judah about their idolatry, to remind God's people of His mercy and His forgiveness if they repent. Our men's Bible breakfast just finished the, the book of Hosea, where we saw this, you know, all of a sudden, rant, 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 rant. rant. Oh, we will, I will bless you. Rant, 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 rant. I will bless you. And so, it's a kind of a lot more law than, than gospel in the book of Hosea. And By the way, the men's Bible breakfast, uh, first and third Saturdays, uh, the men cook a good breakfast on the third Saturday of this month. We're, we're going into the book of Philippians. So how does somebody who is who potentially sentenced to die, has been in prison illegally, can't really communicate very well, doesn't know if he'll be able to continue his ministry, how does he express such joy? Well, Philippians, 8 o'clock, two weeks from, from uh, yesterday. Okay, commercial time. I just had to take a break, right? Okay, so... So, prophets also prophesy calamity in their own times so the people do not repent, but also future calamities. And they also proclaim the coming of, of, of God's Christ or his Messiah, who would restore God's reign as king and, and be the true king of Israel. We have the famous prophecy of, of Jeremiah 23, 5, I'm thinking about specifically, but also so many prophecies of Isaiah. Okay. Well, okay. It's going quicker than I thought. I only had three sheets. I thought I wouldn't get through all this in the Old Testament. But um, any questions about any of this? How I could help you? Yes, go ahead, Keith. Yeah, go ahead. So, is Judah the largest tribe just by sheer numbers? Yeah. Okay, okay. Ju- Judah is the largest tribe by, by numbers. Um, in the northern kingdom, sometimes you hear the northern kingdom referred to by the name Ephraim because that's the largest tribe of the northern ten tribes. Okay, and we'll talk about that in just a second, what happens to these ten tribes. But Judah is the very large, is the largest of the twelve tribes, and also Jerusalem within Judah's territory. Um, although Jerusalem, if you look at the original borders for the Holy Land divided at, in Joshua's time, a Judah, the, the, the actual, you know, Jerusalem was not part of, of Judah, but then Judah assumes Jerusalem. And that's one reason, obviously, Jeroboam does not want uh, his people to worship. They don't, he doesn't want his people going to the temple during Passover and, and Pentecost and tabernacles. He wants to have the exclusive worship located in, in the north. And so he, he kind of really, really... Uh, ruins the religion and then he has these golden calves and he ruins even further. Um okay so yeah and so these kings very act politically sometimes they fight each other sometimes Israel and Judah are fighting each other uh sometimes they make alliances with each other like against the Syrians it's kind of a kind of a big mess right here. But as I said earlier there's this larger context and you, you see where they are in the Holy Land and and there is now in mesopotamia a rising power is called the assyrians not the not the syrians that's in damascus but the assyrians modern-day iraq and so they they arise with very powerful and they are ruthless and and israel does not repent and so in 721 bc okay some books will say 722 um i um that's how I learned it back when I was in college. But 721, some of the sources I'm using now, is 721 BC. The Assyrians come in and they take the, the northern 10 tribes. They conquer Samaria. They, they just devastate the place. And the nation is essentially destroyed. The Assyrians were, were particularly ruthless. Um, they So they scatter these 10 tribes. And then they resettle peoples from other regions. And it's going to be. And I'm going to get into it a little bit more in detail It's from these people that that come from background being from Israel and these other people's intermarrying that that you eventually will have with the Samaritans that we see in the New Testament okay and I'll talk about that a little bit later on but but they'll they come from this kind of a mixture and obviously those in Judah don't like those who've been of a mixed race and that's a all another thing in the history right right there so effectively you have 10 tribes that are lost because they did not listen to the word of the Lord. The, and then, then obviously Judah's going to be taken into exile. When I was growing up, I was in Sunday school, right? I had Bible story books. I had this picture of the Old Testament. Oh, there's Israel, they're the people of God. Look at that, there's David fighting Goliath, man, you know, and, and, and uh, oh, there's Daniel in the lion's den, and there's Moses partying the Red Sea. There's the temple of Solomon. And so there's the people of God. Oh, oh, I guess they sin sometimes, but that's but really not the picture of the Old Testament. The picture of the Old Testament is basically Israel fails. Israel fails over and over again. I, I, going back even to uh, um, Moses comes, and says, I'm here to set you free. Pharaoh says, you've got to make more bricks. Why would you do this to us, Moses? Right? Uh, they, they come out. Moses leads them. Um, after 10 plagues, they, you think they, they could be faithful, right? They go to the Red Sea. Oh, why would you do this, Moses, right? They go to the Red Sea. The Red Sea drowns all of Pharaoh's army, right? That's more than 600 chariots if you read the text. Do you know how long it takes Israel to complain after that? Three verses in three days. Three Until they go, oh, we have no water to drink. And then later on, oh, we have no food to eat. Oh, that we have was sent by the flesh pots of, of Egypt. You really want to go back to being slaves and having the threat of your sons being killed at birth? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we do. No, I mean, Moses didn't say that. But, but you see this constant faithfulness um, of, of, of Israel and when they come, come close. By the way, let's just do this logically. In the ancient world, who is more powerful, the Pharaoh and his armies of Egypt or the Canaanites? Let's just do a little bit of logic. Is there, is there really any question? No. If a Canaanite army fought the Egyptian army at that time, who would win the battle? Egyptians. Egypt, it wouldn't be a battle. But when they close to Canaan, oh, oh, the people are too strong, we can't take them, oh, we can't go into... Oh, good, you won't. Forty years wandering, Right? And so, so, so Israel is this really, this, it's, the Old Testament is this tremendous warning to you and to me. Be faithful. Repent of your sin. Don't be like my people. Now there's always a remnant. This, this, this theme of the remnant is huge. It's huge. For example, in the Northern Kingdom, Elijah does his little complaint. Oh, I'm the only one who follows you. And then God, you know, meets him on Mount Horeb. And I love the story. He picks him up. He says, hey, Elijah, I got three things for you to do. Get off. Quit your crying. Go. You know, and then he goes through the three things. And, oh, oh, by the way, there's still 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. You're not alone, cry baby. Get out of this mountain. Go do my work. You know, so it's just a... <laughs> Oh, it's kind of an interesting story. So there's this remnant even in, in the northern kingdom. There's this remnant in Judah that will still be faithful. We hear about this, especially in the book of Isaiah. Okay, so, so, anyway, so, so now ten tribes are gone. And, and we'll talk about that now. And they're not gone like there's no descendants. Because we do see, um, for example, Anna in Luke 2 at the temple and, and the apostle Paul are not from the tribe of Judah. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that. So th- it's not like there's no descendants of these tribes, but as effective tribes, they're gone, okay? Judah doesn't listen. Now, if you look at the, at, you can find these lists all over the place. You know, good king, bad king, good king. Most of the kings of Judah are bad. They, they follow Baal worship and stuff like this, and it's horrible. There is child sacrifice occurring right next to the temple of God in Jerusalem. And so finally, you know, there's this, the Babylonians come, and and by the way, the Babylonians conquered uh, Nineveh and Asher. The Assyrians are gone. So thorough was the conquest of the Assyrians is that liberals who doubted the Bible said that the the authors of the Old Testament made up this Assyrian people because there was no remnant that we could find. Oh, Oh, yeah, we can find lots of remnants of the Assyrians now. Just go for example, to to a lot of museums. Go to the University of Chicago, their Museum of the Ancient Near East. You can see remnants of the Assyrian Empire. But um, the Assyrians were... But they are destroyed by the Babylonians. The Babylonians then become the tool of God to bring judgment on Judah. And Judah gets taken into exile. The temple's destroyed. The king is deposed. Um, He's taken into exile, but only after... All of his sons are killed before his eyes, and then he's blinded. Last thing he sees is the death of his sons. And so the Babylonians send a message to him and to everyone else. He's put up a governor, but now there's no more kings of of Judah. The Davidic line is gone right now. Um, They go into exile in Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah says, you might as well build homes there because you are going to be there a while. And... and, um, 539, they, they, the Persians, meanwhile, have taken over the Babylonian Empire. And, and that's, you go back in the Book of Daniel, remember the, the handwriting the wall, the last Babylonian king, many, many, Techoli and And then the Persians take over, they let them go back. However, they let them go back not to have their own independent kingdom, not to have the King David, but to be just another area of the Persian Empire. They come back. They're not a nation. They have no king. There's no temple, although they do rebuild the temple. But the comparison, the second temple under Ezra and Nehemiah versus the first temple under Solomon, it's no comparison at, at all. Just the shell of itself. Um, they built, rebuild the walls, but we can know from archaeology, they don't build back the walls the way they had them before. Um, the walls that were built, for example, under, when they re- reinforced under King Hezekiah. i remember seeing this when I was in Jerusalem. The walls were 30 feet thick. You know, they can't build 30 feet thick. They're just lucky enough to have a wall now. Um, and there's also the temptations and the, the people of Judah. But by the way, not all those from Judah go back. We got it pretty good here in Babylon. Oh, but some, when the Persians took over, are in Persia. We actually have a book of the Bible, Esther, right? About Esther becomes the queen of, of Persia, and we'll talk about does Esther little little te- uh, uh, little uh, teaser for you. Does Esther belong in the Bible, and what's the issue with Esther? Why why why? It, of all the Old Testament books, was doubted as far as the nature of Scripture. But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the, we're going to talk about the issue of, of the canon, because you hear people, there's this, this, this utter garbage that a bunch of, a bunch of you know, conservatives got together and said, we're going to kick out all these books of the Bible because they don't agree with our, our theology. You know, it's, it's just absurd. It's just absurd. It's another example of people, people not knowing their history. But we'll talk about that next week or the week after. So um, they're scattered, they're in Babylon, they're in Persia, they're in Egypt, and what's gonna happen then is you're gonna have the rise of the synagogues since they can't get to the temple um, um, later on. So now we're gonna see the rise of the synagogue, we'll talk about that um, next week or the following week also. You will notice that, um, that I've not used one word, I've been referring them to the people of Judah consistently in the last five minutes. What word have I not used? Jews. The 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 Old Testament does have the word Jew in it. However, it's the narrow sense of somebody from the tribe of Judah. It's very important to understand there are no Jews in the Old Testament the way we use the word Jew. Judaism will arise in this intertestamental period. We talk about the rise of Judaism. So, and, and in fact, we'll talk about the various forms of Judaism that you see, for example, the time of Jude, of Jesus. And this is a maxim stoned into my head in the, at the seminary. There are no Jews in the Old Testament. There's people from the tribe of Judah. So when you see the word Jew, for example, in the latter part of the Old Testament, these are people from the tribe of Judah. And you can see this, but for example, the German word for, for Jew is Juden, where you see... You know, Juden is the plural for for uh, for for Jew. Um, it, and you see the D right there in English. We didn't carry over the D, and I, I'm not quite sure what the etymology is right there. But we'll talk about the rise of Judaism. We we'll talk about the, the the Hebrew canon. But I thought it's very very important to understand the, the Old Testament. Um, in the New Testament, um, are there any questions? By the way, I, I mean, I, I before I go off my, my next little little tangent right now talking about the importance of the Old Testament I have a little little speech to give you right now about why the Old Testament is important but any questions about stuff about the Old Testament the major themes and why it's important for us to know now in the New Testament era um, about the, the in the 100s there was a guy so called in the church, named Marcion. How many of you are not completely clear about the name Marcion? Okay, that's fine. Okay. Okay. Marcion came to the church, and what he did is he, he, he believed that, that he separated the church of Jesus Christ entirely from Judaism. So he cut out completely the Old Testament and severely edited the New Testament to conform to taking out all 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 this references to Judaism we have in the modern Christian Church today what is called by many people called effective Marcionism in other words yes I believe in Jesus but no I don't really care to know the Old Testament I just want to know about Jesus no 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 you gotta know the Old Testament you gotta know the Old Testament inside and out, and 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 I and the more I've studied the New Testament, the more I've seen that this is absolutely true. You have to know the Old Testament to really understand the words of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, uh, reading the Bible itself. Paul comes to, in the book of Acts, Paul comes to Corinth. Corinth is a pagan, Greek-speaking city, and the vast majority of Christians in Corinth are going to be formerly, like Zeus, worshipers, pagans, who now convert to, to Christ. When you convert, when you do mission work, you see this in the Book of Acts, and, and to be a study of the Book of Acts, you have to go through this carefully. But but your different types of preaching. When you preach to a Jewish audience, like a Pentecost, you want to show Jews that Jesus is the Christ, right? He's the promised one from the Old Testament. So you base your sermon on what? The Old Testament, right? Look at look at the sermon in Acts two. Look at Stephen's speech. in Acts 7, you, you speak about the Old Testament. You go to a Zeus worshiper, do they really care about Old Testament prophecies of the coming of Christ? Do they really care? No. No, you proclaim that there is one God, and this is his son, and he rose from the dead. Believe in him and you will be saved. So you talk about Jesus as Lord. In Corinth, that's what Paul did. He proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord. However, he stayed in Corinth for a while, and it's, very, and, and it's a little bit technical argument. He then spent time explaining to them the word of God. What is meant by the word of God in the book of Acts is 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 really the Old Testament that points to Jesus. So Paul spent a lot of time speaking to these pagan Corinthians about the Old Testament, and so. So we in the church today need to know the Old Testament. So, so back to, to Keith's original question about the divided kingdom, uh, as I think about it, as a, it made me think that I'm, I'm approaching this thing the wrong way. I was wanting just to give you information about the Roman Empire, the, the, the types of Judaism, stuff like this. First and foremost is you need to know the Old Testament. If you want to know the New Testament, first and foremost, you have to know, know the Old Testament. If you aren't reading the Old Testament every day, start with the Book of Psalms. Add in the book of Genesis, go to Exodus, you know, and continue on. Uh, just know God's word. Okay, got like two minutes here before we go in for the divine service. Questions, comments. What do, you wanna, what, what do you want to know about the New Testament? What are you foggy on? What are you a little bit unsure about, the ministry of Jesus? What did Jesus say that confuses you? What did Paul say that confuses you? What do you know about the book of Revelation that confuses you? No, I'm <laughs> Much deeper question, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into the... And, and by the way, we will talk briefly, if I have time. You know, this, we're going to be extending this. We have a lot of time. So, so your questions might be good. I hope this class has been helpful so far. Okay? But go ahead. We're going to answer the New Testament canon also. Yes, Rick? So the books that are in the Bible record all of these historical yeah. things up until... Really, the time that we we're talking, the time in between that yeah. we're talking here. Yes. Are there writings yes. somewhere else Yes. That record all of these things? Yes, it's called the, there are, are not, not in the Bible? there are extra biblical writings and they are not in what we regard as scripture, nor was regarded as scripture by, by Jesus at his time. It's called the Apocrypha. And so we talk a little bit in the roman catholic church if you notice the roman catholic church they have something called the apocrypha right and by the way the apocrypha is quite helpful maybe one of these days i should actually study apocrypha more i mean apocrypha is great it, it tells you a lot for example the book of first maccabees gives a tremendous amount of the history of 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 leading that helps us very much the history leading into into the time of Jesus, so the apocrypha is very helpful. We also have, for example, this wonderful book, um, author named Josephus, who wrote a history of the Jewish people, Josephus. And by the way, you can pick up a abridged a version of Josephus. I don't know who publishes it; it might be CPH, but it might be somebody else. Um, uh, Paul Meyer wrote did an abridgment of Josephus. I've never read all of Josephus. To read all of Josephus would be thousands of pages. But it was like you know three, four hundred pages. Josephus was very helpful because he wrote this history of the Jewish people, um, and and then of course he, he goes all the way through the fall of the temple in in Jerusalem. He was actually present at the fall of the, of, of Jerusalem. So we do have extra biblical writings, and we have and we have writings outside of even the apocrypha that we can draw from. We also have ancient historians that speak, and they they and they of course will speak about you know uh, the the land of Canaan, the, the Holy Land um, in a peripheral manner, but yet it's very helpful. But were there documents in Assyria and at the Babylon? Yes. Places Yes. That were part of the yes. culture that were yeah. these things well? Yes, yes. For example, um, the Egyptians, um, we have something, um, the Egyptians warred against uh, either Israel or Judah, I can't remember which, but there's something called that, from Egypt, the Merneptah Stele, which details the triumph of the Egyptians at this particular battle. We have outside resources about the Battle of Carchemish. We have outside resources detailing the history of, of, of Assyria and, and Babylon, and that we can correlate with with, with this. And I, um, my, my memory's foggy about exactly what Many of them, but but and at one point in time, I probably read a lot of them. But it's a, it's amazing how much how little is retained in my mind. What's, what's interesting to me is that of those documents that exist like that, none of them, at least that I'm aware of, were incorporated into a religion uh, to be a biblical-like yeah. set of texts. Were they? Yeah. Well, that's it. That, I mean, Obviously, not, not a Christian. Religion. No, no, that's good. Good, and it's a good points. The larger point is that these other religions are not historical religions. In other words, no other religion, in fact, no other religion other than Christianity, and I guess we could assume Judaism, which assumes the historical Old Testament, the events of salvation, the events of God dealing with his people, occur in history in our religion. Zeus is not a historical figure. You know, uh, Isis and Osiris are not historical figures. Uh, Molech and Baal and Asher are not historical figures. In other words, these religions are not based on events of history but rather based on mythology which occurs outside of history and so our religion is very much grounded in in dirt flesh and blood historical places and this is why to an extent knowing the geography we might talk more about the geography of the holy land the uh, some of the things uh, the geography we heard in bible class yesterday about the geography from don about the geography of philippi it's kind of interesting to to hear about that so so, so, real places, real people is, is very helpful. And, and we might... T- I got lots of weeks to, to talk about this, but, but obviously not enough. And so, such questions are good. We're also going to address the question, for example, you know, how do we get the books of the New Testament? How do we get the books of the Old Testament? We're going to address the, the question of, how can we be sure that when we read these ancient documents, that we're actually reading the words of the ancient documents? And we'll tackle that question too. So. Lots of questions to tackle. Hope you stay with me. The New Testament's grand. By the way, I told you to read the Old Testament. You can read the New Testament too. How's that? Okay. God bless you. Um,